0: why the Gospel is relevant today. And it is an interesting subject or question in our day and age, seeing that the Gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ asked his disciples to preach the Gospel some 2,000 odd years ago. But in fact, friends, the Gospel was given a man almost 2,000 years before Christ, as we shall see a little later. And as you heard our Chairman say tonight that this is a Bible-based address, therefore it has got to be of the utmost importance, as all Bible-based addresses are. And when you study the scriptures, friends, it's not that long before you realize that no human being could have written this book and predicted the things that have happened over the last 6,000 years and the things that will happen from here on with absolute accuracy. Not only that, friends, we are told in the scriptures that God is the inspired writer of them. We see this in Second Timothy chapter three and at verse sixteen, where it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished or equipped unto all good works we also see in second peter chapter 1 and at verse 20 knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so we can see there, friends, that God is the inspired author of this glorious book. Not only that, when we look at some of the things of the Bible, this is what we find. That it was written over a period of of about 1500 years, commencing with Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible around BC 1447, and ended with John who wrote the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation around the middle of AD 90. And the credentials of the Bible are these. There were 40 independent writers used. Between them, these writers had at least 20 different occupations. They lived in 10 different countries. They wrote over a 1500 year time span. It's written in three different languages. And it has a cast of two thousand nine hundred and thirty characters in one thousand five hundred and fifty one locations. It covers a huge number of different subjects and its message is is expressed in all forms of literature and yet friends with All of that, there is absolutely no contradiction to be found in the Bible. The Old and the New Testament work hand in glove together absolutely perfectly. In fact, a lot of what the Lord Jesus Christ taught and the parables he gave, he quotes directly from the Old Testament. And not only that, friends, why would almighty God, creator of the heavens and the earth, call such a glorious book to be written like no other? Well, primarily to reveal his plan and his purpose with the earth. That also involves the salvation of mankind. Such is the glorious character of the almighty God. Such is his love, his mercy and compassion that God has for mankind. We read in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 18, Thus saith the Lord that created the heavens God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. We also see in Amos chapter three and at verse seven, surely the Lord God will do nothing but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. And so, friends, with those things in mind, let us have a closer look at this remarkable book that contains the gospel. We see here that God has a plan and purpose with the earth. He has a way of salvation for mankind. It has his expectations of man. It has examples of faithful men and women. It also has examples of unfaithful ones. It has the answer to so many of today's problems, in fact, all of them, friends. It has prophecy and it has promises that God has made. And there are many, many other things contained in this glorious book, all of which are subjects in themselves. So, Francis, have just a quick look at the eight subjects that we have up there. Firstly, God's plan and purpose with the earth. See, God has a plan to fill this earth with a people who have developed his character into their lives. And God wants to populate the earth with people who have done that. We read here in Numbers 14, 21, but truly I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And we would note here, friends, that it says, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. see friends, God's glory is his character and so clearly this is speaking of a future time when God's kingdom will be set up here on the earth filled with the people who have developed his glorious character in their lives and it is a glorious time to think about. The prophet Isaiah in his 56th chapter tells us that there will be a glorious temple built. And he says, my house or this temple shall be called an house of prayer for all nations. And this house of prayer, friends, or the temple, the dimensions of it and what it'll be like are all recorded in Ezekiel's prophecy. You see, friends, God has a 7,000 year plan with the earth and mankind. And we're almost at the very end of the 6,000 year period, at which time the Lord Jesus Christ will return to the earth and take control. And there are many quotes to support this, that Christ will return to the earth. One of them here is, is, is in Acts chapter 1 and at verse 11. When the Lord was received up into heaven, and the angels were there, and they said to the men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Also in Luke chapter 1 and at verse 31. And behold, speaking of Mary, the mother of the Lord, behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. that was King David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And that is what God's plan and purpose with the earth is, friends. Christ is gonna return to the earth, take control, have this glorious temple built, and he will reign on the earth forever with a righteous judgment, with a righteous rule. Not as it is today, and has been for 6,000 years, where man's rule has been, as we know, mostly evil. And so that is what God's plan and purpose with the earth is. Our second subject then is the salvation of man. And this friends is a very in-depth subject, which involves and needs a proper and correct understanding of Christ's sacrifice. It's most essential that we have a proper and correct understanding of it. Which when that is obtained, it will provide the answer to the most vital need of every individual. It will give a real hope of salvation. It will give a way to gain victory over the power of death by resurrection, and obtain eternal life. We read in John 17 and at verse three, and this is eternal life, or life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In John 3 verse 16. But you see, friends, baptism is another essential part. True baptism, not sprinkling, but true baptism is most essential, is a most essential part of this salvation. We read in Mark 16 and at verse 16, He that believes, that's the first step and is baptized, the second step, not the other way around. In Romans, we see the third step. In Romans six and at verse three, know ye not that so many of us as are, as it is better rendered, baptized into Jesus Christ are baptised into his death, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And as I say, friends, that is the third step. We must first learn the truth and then be baptised into Christ's death, buried with him, followed by a figurative resurrection and then newness of life. And this constitutes the way To salvation. And as I say, friends, this is a very large and deep subject, and that's all I want to say on this subject tonight. And so we'll move on to the third one of God's expectation of man. as we know and can read in genesis chapter 1 that the almighty god created the heavens and the earth and all that is therein including man they were created and they were put in the garden of eden where they were to live and were expected to tend to the needs of the garden as we can read in in Genesis chapter two. But they were expected to obey one commandment that God gave them. In Genesis chapter two and at verse 16, it says there, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, or dying, thou shalt die. The dying process would commence. And unfortunately, they did what they were asked not to do, and disobeyed that one law that God gave them, and ate of the fruit. And because of that, friends, they were punished. They were driven out of the garden, and the sentence of death was passed upon them, as we can read in Genesis chapter three. And as I said, God expects His laws or commandments to be to uh, be obeyed. He ma- made man, and therefore he has the right to expect man to obey him. We see in Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when Samuel spoke to the first king of Israel, King Saul, who disobeyed God's commandment also. He said, God hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord, he says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken the fat of rams. You see, friends, God has set a way for man to be saved. And that's the only way that man can be saved, God's way, not the way man thinks. And the Lord Jesus Christ gave a parable there in Matthew chapter 7 about building our, our lives on a sure foundation. The whole parable is in fact about keeping the commandments of God. And the Lord says there in verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And so we see, um, friends, that what God wants is for people to obey Him and keep His commandments. And so we'll now move on to the fourth subject, which is faithful men and women. And there are many, many faithfuls that we have examples of in the pages of truth, both in the New and the Old Testament. And we saw in our reading of those of like Moses, who was called the meekest man, of Abraham who was called the friend of God. We have King David, a man after God's own heart, and so on. And we read this of Abraham in James chapter 2 and verse 23, where it says there, And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he is called the friend of God. And wouldn't it be wonderful, friends, if we were called, if God called us that, the friend of God. And as we saw in our reading of Hebrews chapter 11, it has here a very large list of faithful men and women. Some named, most not. All of them are waiting in the ground until the Lord returns and he will raise them from the dead when they'll be rewarded for their faithfulness. We read this friends in Hebrews chapter 11 as we had in our reading and verse 32. And what shall I more say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And as we saw in our reading friends, there are many, many other examples of faithful men and women who have left wonderful examples for us. But of course, there was one greater than all of them, which was the Lord Jesus Christ. We see there in Second Peter and at verse one. For it says, for he received from God, the Father, honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. As I say, friends, the Lord Jesus Christ left the perfect example for us to, to strive and follow did he not? We read in Galatians, the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's that can be us, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the spirit, you could say, of Christ, let us also walk in the spirit of Christ. In Philippians also, in chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant or a bond slave and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So we're asked to let Christ's mind be in you. In fact, that's what the apostle Paul tells us in First Corinthians and chapter eleven, at verse one, where he says, "Be ye followers or imitators of me, even as I also." M of Christ. And so we'll move on to our fifth subject which is unfaithful people in the Bible. You know friends, man is no different today than in Bible times. We are all made of the same flesh and all have the same bias to sin. But there has always been, and always will be, until Christ returns. Those who willfully do not follow the wishes of God, and who will follow the dictates of their own human will. These examples, friends, are put in the scriptures for us that we might see what not to do, and those things, if we do them, can cost us, and will cost us, the kingdom. And I won't go into or name any people tonight, but rather we'll just look at what will cost us the kingdom, which several in the scriptures, as we can find, have done. Now the work of works of the flesh are manifested, which are these? adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revellings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not enter or not inherit the kingdom of God. And there are many other things, friends, that we can read in the pages of the truth, in the pages of the scriptures, which God is not pleased with things that will cost us the kingdom. And so we'll move on to our sixth title or subject and that is the Bible has the answers to today's problems. You do not really need me to tell you friends of the problems that are facing the world today. Problems that There is well, mankind has no concrete answers for. In fact, many of them, there's absolutely they have no answer at all for them. We have things such as these. We have diseases such as the pandemic that we're going through at the moment. We have pollution and environmental issues. We have violence and social issues. We have corruption, of course, on all levels. We have shortage of food in some countries and clean drinking water. And of course, there are always wars. But God did not intend the earth to be inhabited like that. He did not create it for that. In for the, um, to be in the state that we see it in today, friends, as we have seen. He has a glorious plan and purpose with the earth. And he will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. You see, over the last 6,000 years, with everything that has been going on in the earth, As I say, mostly bad and evil. God has been taking out of every generation a people for his name. People who will be raised and will go into God's kingdom and will populate the earth. That is the filling of the earth with God's glory. And we have there, I won't go through them all, just some of the problems that are in the earth and what God can do about it and will do about it. As we see the top one, that with the diseases that are going on, they will be healed. We come down to corruption at all levels. When we read Psalm 72, if you read the whole chapter, it is about the glorious time that is to come when things will be put right. And Isaiah and the Psalms in many other places will tell us of that glorious future when the Lord Jesus Christ will reign over the world as God intended it. And the Lord Jesus Christ then will indeed put all things right. And so we'll move on to the seventh subject which is prophecy. I will only deal with one bit of prophecy tonight, friends, as this subject was dealt with, I think, only about three weeks ago uh, in some depth from this platform. First of all, I'd like to have a look at um, Isaiah chapter 46 and at verse 9. We can see that God says he can predict the future. We read there, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. And that's very clear, isn't it, friends, that what God has said will come to pass, will indeed come to pass, as so many things have. But the prophecy I want to look at takes us back to BC 600. Speaking of a time when the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream. And that's what he dreamt. A mighty warrior with a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of grass, and legs of iron. And when he had that dream, he called his wise men of Babylon and asked them to not only tell him the interpretation, but they had to tell him what the dream was that he saw. And of course, they could not. And Daniel, the prophet Daniel, got to hear of it. And he went to the king and he said, there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thine mind upon thy bed what should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. And that's what God revealed to Daniel, that the head of gold was indeed the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, who would be conquered by the Medes and Persians as we can see there in the second one, who would be conquered then by the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great. And then they would be conquered by the Romans. We had the two legs representing the Eastern and Western division rule of Constantinople and Rome. So that was, is what was predicted until something happened. And Daniel said to the king, in verse 35, then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. As we can see there, that stone that was cut out of a mountain without hands is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 44, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as our sawest the stone, was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God, hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation, sure. And that, friends, from that day until now, has come to pass. And that will continue until the Lord Jesus Christ, as we've said tonight, will come and take control of all nations, and commence to fill the earth with the glory of the Lord. And that is not in the too distant future. And so friends, we have covered so far seven of the eight subjects. And the eighth one is the promises. But before we move on to the eighth one, I'd just like to say that In all of these eight subjects, all of them have contributed to tonight's question. They are all related to the Gospel and why it is relevant today. But I have only just scratched the surface of every one of these subjects. But we do have a range of booklets of many subjects. Like these here, we have the one on the left, the man who was promised the world, which we'll look at in a moment. We have the key to understanding the Bible, world destiny revealed, the environmental crisis. We have baptism essential to salvation and Christ's death and your salvation. As I say, we have those booklets in a rack out the back of this hall, if you'd like to um, take some of those booklets, um, which is, as I say, here at the hall at 62 Canning Highway, East Victoria Park, or you can order them online. And so we'll move on to finish tonight, onto the eighth subject, um, and finish off answering our question tonight. We'll talk about a man named Abraham. Now as I said, the, the gospel was preached 2,000 years before Christ and it was given to this man, Abraham. As you can see, um, that one there, that's it. Galatians 3 and at verse 8. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. See, that's one of God's promises to Abraham. And our title, as you know, friends, tonight is, why is the gospel still relevant today? And it is because of this man, Abraham. As our quote in Galatians says, it says, all nations would be blessed in Abraham according to his laws and live according to his laws. You see, the gospel, friends, is the good news and glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And Almighty God has given unto unto us the scriptures, not only about the gospel and what it is, but how we can gain a place in that glorious kingdom that is soon to dawn upon the earth. And the thing is friends, that that gospel message and that hope and these promises are still held out to us now. The day of opportunity is still ongoing and it will continue until the Lord does come and that is why the gospel is still relevant today. See, Abraham was given great and precious promises which we can read of in in Genesis chapter 12 and they will be fulfilled when the kingdom age comes. But we also read in in Galatians chapter 3 and at verse 16 that Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ would come from Abraham's lineage. And we read this in um, Galatians there, chapter 3 and at verse 26. But after that faith is come For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as are baptised, or have been, sorry, baptised into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And this is how friends we can be related to Abraham and his promises and take part in that glorious future that is to come upon the earth. So that has been held out to all nations, to all languages, all nationalities, everyone has the opportunity to learn the gospel and to be baptized into Christ. For when Christ then comes, those who have been and who have passed away will be raised. That is the responsible dead will be raised And the righteous ones will be given immortality. And as we've seen tonight, his holy temple will be built. It will be built in Jerusalem, the house of prayer for all nations. And the Lord will fix the problems that are facing mankind now. But the choice is ours, friends. We can either choose life or we can choose death. The choice is ours now, but time will one day run out. And that is when the Lord Jesus Christ will return to the earth. And all God has asked, friends, is that we learn the truth. The truth as to what God requires, not man's idea of truth. To learn the promises, to learn of Christ's sacrifice, to be baptised and strive to manifest his glorious character in our life until Christ does come. And these things, friends, as I've said, are tightly knit together, tightly linked together, making up the Gospel, all for the fulfilling of God's plan and purpose with the earth, and the salvation of man. And these things, friends, are all in this glorious holy book called the Bible from start to finish. Thank you for your time.